You're listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to a new episode of the Today in Manufacturing podcast. With me this week are Jeff Ranke and Anna Wells. We each have more than 15 years of experience covering the manufacturing industry. Each week, we take the five most popular stories on our website and discuss the implications they might have on the industry going forward. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. We're also live every Friday at about 1.30 or 2.02, give or take. And before we get started, I want to ask Anna how we're doing. Doing great. That's fantastic, Jeff. Even better, David. Good. We're all good. Well, <laughs> let's have a word from our sponsor. Oil Eaters household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. And we're back. And before we get started, just a reminder that you can click the link below to get a free sample from our sponsor, Oil Eater. All right, our first story this week. Jeep plant prepares for next round of layoffs. In recent years, the Jeep plant in Belvedere, Illinois, has experienced a rapid decline. In 2019, the plant employed 5,000 workers. Since then, the number has dropped to 1,500. Now, the plant is bracing for another round of layoffs at the end of this month. According to the UAW, Stellantis wants to cut down to 603 non-skilled and 199 skilled trades employees leaving it just over 800 employees. Stellantis blames a nosedive in Jeep Cherokee sales, which were down 34% in 2021. Local officials fear major impacts to the local economy and hope the company will consider retooling the plant. Anna, does it seem like retooling the plant could be in uh, Belvedere's future? Uh, You know, there's a lot of people that are vocally hopeful and wishing that that will take place. Um, I don't know because I have not heard Stellantis being the one to say that at this point. Yeah. So I don't know the the reduction in this workforce at this plant has been very catastrophic in the last couple of years. I mean, it's really gone from like, I think you said 5,000 workers in 2019 yeah. to 1500 now with the goal being just about 800. Um, and, you know, it's going to hit the suppliers as well. Um, it's going to hit the local community service sector. People aren't going to be getting gas and coffee and lunch. I mean, it's it's a big deal for this community, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I found interesting is how the union, uh, the UAW, has been responding to these announcements. So Stellantis had said that its end game is about 800 workers. Um The local issued a statement essentially discouraging people, I think, from demonstrating, Mm -hmm. telling them to not make irrational decisions at this point, adding, quote, we don't believe that they will be able to make all these cuts. We believe this is completely unobtainable and we will know more in the near future. I don't know if this is responsible. Uh, Like to me, it feels like maybe they're creating some false hope here. I mean, the company has absolutely crushed this plant in the last couple of years with these cuts. They have shown their ability to unapologetically follow through. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a market where demand is actually very high and net revenue for Stellantis was up in Q1 by about 12 percent. I think that the union's like hope or even the, the surrounding communities hope that maybe this plant will get retooled. Despite concrete evidence not existing <laughs> that Stellantis yeah. is like planning to do that. Like, I would like to hear that from the company before we start saying like, hey, guys, hang tight. We, you know, we're working on this. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it, it has been bad so far. It's not yeah. like Stellantis has been like, yeah, we want to work with you. We want to try to modify or pivot and, and save some of these jobs at this specific plant. They have not said that. No, it seems very fleeting. Uh, Jeff, I kind of got the same vibe that Anna did. 
where, you know, I feel like the next thing that uh, local officials are going to have to come out and say are, well, we're looking for a new buyer for the plant. Well, I think what Stellantis is doing is sort of hedging their bets here a little bit. The article, excuse me, <clears throat> cited how um, sales numbers for the Grand Jerk the Jeep Grand Cherokee mm -hmm. was down about 34%. Well, during that same time, production was also down by about 40% due to supply chain issues. This is the same facility that had a bunch of people laid off for a extensive amount of time at the beginning of uh, 2021. So there has been a lot going on here. It's also, but the the level at which there has been a depletion in the workforce is also very curious. Mm -hmm. For this vehicle that even though U.S. sales are down, globally they just issued a first quarter earnings report saying that it had the, Jer the Jeep Cherokee. I don't know why I'm struggling with the that jerky. term so the much. Jer this, this jerky. Cherokee mm -hmm. actually had one of its best first quarters ever. 36% yeah. increase oh, wow. in sales. Mm -hmm. So, And that is on a global level, not just in the U.S. where there is more competition sort of in that vehicle category, so you can appreciate that. But I think I think they are being careful, Stellantis is, in, in either being too positive, but I don't think they're pulling the plug on this. I guess I may be a little more optimistic than you guys are that yeah. things could come back once the supply chain figures itself out. The only other place they make these vehicles in the U.S. is in Detroit. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe there would be a discrepancy in terms of labor rates or costs for for, um, for workers or anything, but it's basically the same. Yeah. Um, and this is, if you, when we drive past this all the time, we go down to Chicago, it is a huge facility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, they have retooled this place in the past. They used to produce neons coming out of there. Yeah. They transitioned to Jeeps. Mm -hmm. So there is a history there too in terms of flexibility. A lot of the local officials are talking about EVs. That's obviously a hot topic right now. Yeah. Um, that would be a huge refurbishment. You yeah. would think going from a traditional vehicle, especially like a Jeep, to something that's electric. But if the infrastructure is there and the local community seems to really want to do whatever they can to keep this place up and running, they made some really interesting quotes just about the amount of water Right now, yeah, that yeah. is allocated to this facility that was at one point running three shifts of you know thousands of workers at a time. So they want to keep it there. Belvedere is a small town, mm -hmm. so you'd think they are going to do everything they can to help support Stellantis and keeping things there. And hopefully that is the case once the supply chain sort of figures itself out. Yeah, so the next round of layoffs is going to be achieved through a combination of retirement packages you know, to eligible union staff, as well as reduction of both hourly and salaried employees. Uh, you know, maybe there's just 700 people sitting around retirement age, like, I was getting ready to get out of mm -hmm. Oh, you this know, works. Really yeah. wishful thinking. Um, <clears throat> the other, Jeff, you had mentioned the water, and that was one thing that really struck me, is that uh, how uh, when plants of this magnitude go uh, kind of scale back, a lot of those utility prices go up for local residents. Mm -hmm. So they said that, you know, the price of water for all everybody in Belvedere is going to probably go up significantly. Yeah. Um, and you had also mentioned, you know, how Illinois is trying to trying to do what it can to stay competitive as a state. Uh, the Illinois General Assembly last year approved what they called the Reimagining Electric Vehicles Act, which provides tax credits for companies that, you know, manufacture electric vehicles, parts and batteries in Illinois. So maybe that's something that they could tap into. But it's also an incredibly competitive landscape. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess we'll see. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> All right. Our next most popular story this week is a doozy. And this is going to seem long, but I abridged it to the there best of my ability. There is a lot to, to unpack to here. A lot of going. <clears throat> All right. Convicted killer, the tech whiz behind startup. Harold Hirschtech was 20 years old when he murdered someone, shooting his victim in the head and burying the body. Now, he's the brains behind an Israeli health tech startup that could make hundreds of millions of dollars. His partners say he's a successful case of rehabilitation and second chances, but his, his past could become an issue as his company prepares to go public. Now 46, Hirschtech admits that, quote, you can be a genius and yet still very stupid. Hirschtech is the vice president of strategy and technology at Centech Medical, a company he founded in 2018 while incarcerated. The company has a product that can detect certain diseases through a breath test, through a breath test from COVID to cancer and even depression, he says. He murdered a former partner in the snake and reptile business, Yakov Sella, and Hirschtech had a good relationship that morphed from mentorship to one of, quote, mutual hate and loathing. Sella dated Hirschtech's mother and was known as a womanizer. In 1996, Hirschtech stole about $15,000 from Sella, 
but agreed to pay him back double without involving the police. Then, Hirschtech shot him in the head and buried him in a grove. Hikers found the body weeks later. Hirschtech was sentenced to life in prison. In prison, he earned doctorates in math and chemistry and established 31 companies, selling six of them. Last year, a parole board determined Hirschtech was no longer a threat to society. As part of his early release, and until 2026, he's under nightly house arrest, and he must wear a tracking device around his ankle at all times. Now his startup is waiting for regulatory approval on a merger that values his company at around $250 million. But his past is haunting him. Hirschtech was recently demoted from CTO, mostly because he didn't want to scare away investors. Hirschtech sees the good that could come from his tech as the ultimate form of repentance. He could have used his intellect in any industry, but he specifically chose health tech. Anna Hirschtech says, trust me, this is not for the money. Do you believe him? I don't know if I have uh, an opinion on that. It's hard to know, um, you know, anything about this person. All I have that I can look at, I think, are the facts that have been laid out in this article and his history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting that these two things are happening in conjunction with one another, but I don't know if it's fair necessarily that we begrudge a person who went through the proper like legal channels and was granted parole in a legitimate way to be evaluated against his past. I think, you know, the article says that the story raises questions about whether someone who took a person's life deserves to rehabilitate his own to such an extent. And I found that uh, phrasing to be interesting because I, I, and I, I guess I take issue with it a bit because I don't know what we as a society then expect. Yeah. Um, You know, the justice system was employed in this case. Are people who serve their time only allowed to sort of limp out of prison to a halfway house and like live this dismal life with nothing to offer, no opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, no wonder people reoffend if that's what we think right. should happen to them after they leave prison and have served their time. Yeah. Um, I get that it's difficult and I get that it's difficult for people who were friends and family of this victim. He says this is his way of giving back to society. And personally, I, th- I think we let him. I mean, it mm-hmm. seems a bit outrageous to me that we would take issue with this person applying their talents just because they have a criminal record. Um, I can see why people find it difficult to reconcile. Um, especially if he's going to be making any, any kind of sizable profit off of this technology. But again, it, you know, it's, he has served his time in the eyes of the law. He's been granted parole. Um, it's kind of out of our hands at that point. And if it's not like he's writing a tell all book or selling his movie yeah, rights to movie, his yeah. like grotesque story. And it's a sensational thing. He's like invented something that could be a big benefit to society. And I think we just need to let that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I it's not a story that we see happen often. No, I think mostly, rare. yeah, mostly like people offend and then they leave prison and then things don't go well for them after that. Yeah. It's like, so I don't know. It's again, it's like, it's a rough sort of nuanced situation, but I do think that, that we should, you know, I I don't know, give support to somebody to proceed in this endeavor that looks like would have a lot of positive impact on society. No, I agree. I think it's an extreme case of separating the art from the artist. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a lot of bad people have done a lot of good things in this world. And uh, you're right. He paid his debt to society. Um, and it is it is hard to, for someone to have done something so egregious to see so much success. But I think it's hard to wrap your head around it a little bit. But it is ultimately a little bit of a redemption story where, you know, he went into the system. The system worked for him. He used it to improve himself, become a better person and come out and try and make the world a better place. Jeff, is that too, too, too hopeful for you? No, I, I'm going to I'm all over the place on this one. Mm-hmm. There's so much to really get after. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start a little bit more pragmatically just to start with. First of all, I think it's really interesting. One of the things we probably don't talk about enough is what an innovation hub Israel has become oh, in yeah. terms of new technologies that are coming out in terms of 3D printing. We know a lot of the things they do from a um, aerospace and defense perspective are definitely cutting edge. They've also done a lot of medical developments. You hear a lot coming out of Israel. So there's for everything else they have going on there, all the other challenges from a social perspective, what they have from a technology infrastructure is incredibly impressive that somebody who's even in prison, for crying out loud, could create six companies that sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. 
I mean, this guy's mind and the way it must function and operate is amazing. Mm -hmm. For him to have this much, this ability to kind of focus and create not just this one, but other technologies that he was able to sell. He said six different companies or 31 31 companies and he sold sold six of them. them. He was married three times. How do you get married in prison three times? Yeah, married three times. And then he actually apparently used the profits from those sales to start this company. He's got a lot of his own money invested in it. I think it's also interesting when we look at some of the long lasting effects of COVID, how now with just this need to do more things at home or on our own without going into a doctor's office, the use of spit, breath, all these other things mm-hmm. to diagnose diseases, it's its amazing technology too. So to come up with that idea was almost sort of a pandemic related or inspired type of technology that could have far reaching effects. When it gets into the whole other part of this guy in dealing with this, if you trust your societal structure to penalize somebody and put them into prison for a given amount of time, I think you also have to have a certain amount of trust that when they say, this guy's good to go, there's nothing more we can do for him, we're going to give him his life back, you have to you have to trust that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. there, There's a balance there. Right. So I think from a social perspective, there I have no issues at all with this guy getting his life back together. And if he's got an idea that is marketable and sellable and he can make money doing it, I'm all for it. Where it really, I think, comes down to and where there's a blurring of the lines is how you would feel from a personal perspective. Mm-hmm. I personally, I don't know, without meeting him, you can't say, but I think there would be a lot of challenges for me personally to interact with and be in the same company with somebody that I know did these things. Right. I know it was 25 years ago. I'm oh, all yeah. about forgiving and moving on. Yeah. But there is a certain level of trust that's also going into a startup and a new technology and all of that, that I know I personally, to be very honest, would struggle with a great deal. Well, and at a startup, it is a very close knit, you know, uh, community. Maybe part of that, maybe getting over that hump a little bit was that the startup started in what, 2018. So he was actually, you know, working on the startup in prison. So maybe it didn't get weird until he got out. And they're just like, okay, all he's got is an ankle. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe when you meet this guy, you're kind of like, that must have been a completely different person because it was 25 years ago. Yeah, he's 20. Yeah. I mean, I can see all of that as well. I'm just going right off the basis. I'm just being honest with me personally. Well, and it's, there are so many, I just really encourage everybody to go and read the story. You know, it's a longer story, Mm -hmm. but it sets some records for longest time spent on the site in terms of people reading this entire thing. Everything from us. So the guy that he killed, he actually fathered a child with this woman. And not only was uh, Yakov killed, but then her brother or she had another sibling who was killed yeah. by Jeffrey Dahmer. I saw that. Yeah. That is he's crazy. And so the company has received a patent for its technology in Israel. And now is it preparing to apply it uh, for FDA approval soon. So the technology might be coming over. We might see that in the U.S., really soon. Did any of you guys pick up any Theranos vibes oh, on this one? I was just going to say that. Yeah. Really? Like aside from everything else. Yeah. I mean, there we were talking about blood. Now we're here. We're just talking about breath, mm-hmm. man. I mean, I hope they are vetting this. I really hope it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause he says it works. It, uh, it takes unique chemical indicators in the breath to be identified and then used to diagnose these diseases. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was, that's a game changer. Yeah. I mean, if that can actually come to fruition, even if it's something as simple as strep throat, or yeah. whatever, especially, I mean, we've all got kids that have gone through this oh type my God, of stuff. The throat swab. Being yeah. able to identify that stuff quicker. I mean, a COVID example. I yeah, mean, man, for sure. Yeah, this is and this is not just a segment like this is an entire series mm-hmm. of this guy. Um, all right. <clears throat> Our next most popular story this week. Plane crash may have been intentional. In March, a China Eastern flight crashed in China and killed everyone on board. It's still unclear what caused the Boeing 737-800 passenger jet uh, to crash, but a new report suggests that it might have been intentional. Black box data says someone used the plane's controls to send it into a near vertical nosedive. When the plane hit the ground, it was going so fast, it created a 66 foot deep hole in the ground. Jeff, officials say the plane's descent likely would have required intentional force. What were your initial thoughts um, when you saw this sort of uh, change in the story? <laughs> the initial thought was I was thinking basically of what happened in that field in Pennsylvania at, at 9-11. Mm. Like something was going on and the, the plane was intentionally crashed. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and hopefully it's not anywhere near that type of parallel, obviously. A couple of other things that came to mind were, I know what they're saying, what it indicates, but there is a big issue in terms of pilots right now. 
in terms yeah. of the shortage of them, finding enough qualified individuals. And it's not just here in the U.S. And it's almost a similar dynamic to what we see in manufacturing. We talk about the machine whisperers sort of leaving the shops and the plant floor. Mm-hmm. Same thing is happening here with the airlines. A lot of these guys are retiring. Mm-hmm. People are actually staying in the um, Air Force and the um, Armed Forces longer. So the airlines don't have as that ready source of recruited pilots to source from. Mm. So within 15 years, they're talking about a lot of the, the vast majority of pilots right now will be out of the workforce. Oh, well. And during that time, they're only recruiting about half of what they need to fill that. And on a global basis, they're looking at a shortage of about 34,000 commercial pilots by 2025. Whoa, that's so a- when you look at that, Crazy. there could definitely just have been an underqualified <clears throat> individual Mm-hmm. Manning this plane, yeah. you know, without mm-hmm. more information, there is that potential. The other thing that it kind of came to mind is we have black boxes. We have all this monitoring equipment for looking at the flight path and what happened. I mean, why don't we put cameras up there? Yeah. I mean, why don't we put a cam- I mean, I know that's sort of intrusive. I, I do get that. But when you're know. responsible for 500 people, and I forget how many were on this flight. It wasn't a full flight. 132. 132. But I mean, some of these flights are packed. Mm-hmm. Is that really out of the scope of reality to say, you know, we're going to keep an eye on these guys and see what they're up to up there? No, not at all. Actually, uh, um, I, I thought the same thing that, uh, you know, that might actually be something that would be a very beneficial tool. Um, and uh, one person familiar with the investigation said the plane did what it was told to do by someone in the cockpit. And I think they said a lot without trying to intentionally you know, call out a pilot or co-pilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and honestly, I think we covered the story to begin with because it was a Boeing plane and there's been a lot of issues around Boeing's quality concerns. We've had some safety yeah. issues with Boeing in the last couple of years. And this, <clears throat> I think, was essentially sort of exonerating the technology and pointing to a more, um, uh, a different uh, situation mm-hmm. there. And, you know, you heard a lot of hints around uh, the fact, or maybe these are rumors, I don't know, about the pilot potentially having suffered a mental health crisis mm-hmm. at that moment. Um, and, you know, that really struck me because I think it's it's an important discussion that we need to be having more and more uh, industry industry-wide about the mental health impacts that have come out of the pandemic, not just the pandemic, honestly, like people are struggling doing all kinds of jobs in critical industries, not just in an airplane. But um, to me, it's not an issue of like cameras or making sure that there's two pilots in the cockpit at at, at all times, because that was something that I think um, the last time something like this happened, Mm -hmm. a lot of airlines said that's what they would do. They would put a second person in. And then from what I've, read uh, a lot of airlines kind of quietly did away with that because of things like this pilot shortage. You just don't have enough people to do that. Mm -hmm. But um, I think getting at the root of some of this, um, you know, I think it's important for companies to to remember that like between the the pandemic, wars, climate change, you know, politics, all this stuff is weighing really heavily on people everywhere. You Mm -hmm. know, many people are not managing it well. And I don't know that um, most companies necessarily have a good pulse on this. I know in um, America, anyway, <laughs> uh, we, we've t- tended to take this approach of kind of leave your problems at the door and get your job done. Yeah. Um, you know, are there checkpoints or resources um, that are boosting some people when they need help? Uh, I, you know, it's I, I hope this is starting to change a bit because you do see the workforce sort of pushing back a little bit and saying, like, this is what we need. For support, this is the kind of culture that we need. Um, but I think that companies need to be proactive in looking at that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And again, we don't know exactly what happened here. But if yeah. if it were a situation of somebody that's just in this very bleak and hopeless situation, and they took this, made this horrible choice, um, you know, it'd be nice if if there were some checkpoints along the way to maybe determine where that person's head was at before yeah. they got on this airplane. No, I agree with you. It's uh, I feel like companies, particularly in the U.S., are doing a lot to try and be progressive when it comes to mental health issues. But culturally, there's still a lot to overcome in terms of people who are uh, grappling with mental health health issues. Um, So there were a lot of things around this report that kind of struck me. One was that Chinese investigators have not revealed any mechanical or technical problems with the aircraft, which I thought was, one, a big indicator, because normally that's as soon as they sort of figure out what happened, sort of they send out an alert to anybody with this plane so that way if it was a mechanical problem, it could be addressed. Uh, the other is that 
so the rumors started swirling about this uh, pilot intentionally crashing the plane after um, the CAAC made some remarks about mental health of aviation staff following the crash. So at a meeting on aviation safety on April 6th, the CAAC director, Feng Zhengling, urged Communist Party officials at all levels to, quote, stabilize the thoughts of their teams, make utmost efforts to solve employees' problems in their work, life, and study, and ensure physical and mental health. And when he made that comment, I feel like he said a lot without necessarily saying it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is we're talking about China. These are mm-hmm. this the place where we got people sleeping on factory floors after working 16-hour shifts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've all been in that situation where we've been a flight has been delayed because they had to switch out the crew because they've been up for too many hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. You wonder if something was sort of swept under the rug here, too. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, Jeff. Yep. No. <laughs> all right. Our next most popular story this week. Harley-Davidson suspends production. This week, Harley-Davidson announced a two-week suspension of vehicle assembly and most shipments. The company says it's a regulatory compliance issue with one of its suppliers. Harley says the decision was, quote, made out of an abundance of caution after the company received information from a supplier of one of its component parts. The company did not name the supplier or provide details of the part in question. They did say that assembly and shipping suspension would not affect its Livewire electric motorcycle. So Anna, the company was already struggling with supply issues, and you can kind of narrow it down as to what it might be affecting, but uh, they were a little short on details with this story. Yeah, poor Harley. I Mm. don't know. I just feel like they can't catch a break. Um, You know, they've been dealing with a brand crisis for many years Mm -hmm. um, as their core buyer demographic is less interested in buying motorcycles and now more interested in buying Ben Gay or something. I don't know. People are just like aging yeah. out of like the motorcycle years. So you smelled the guy when he came in. Today yeah. Too. This is, and this is not a knock because I like, I bring my own pillow to hotels now. So I don't like break myself while I'm sleeping. So I get it. I'm not n- nothing intended there guys. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, it is a real problem for this kind of legacy brand um, that has identified with like a certain kind of trend and lifestyle um, that's sort of being left behind in today's market with younger buyers who are more interested in like speed, uh, faster, smaller, more efficient bikes, cheaper bikes. Um, and Harley has really done a lot to try to pivot um, to that. And they have made a little progress. Um, mm-hmm. As you mentioned, their Livewire brand, which is an electric motorcycle. So this setback is really you know, a bummer because it's really outside of their control and the supply chain. Nobody has that figured out. Um, While Livewire is a great offering going forward, um, we know that it doesn't account for very much of Harley's sales at this time. So it's not really a good offset for losing production on its more core models. So this will be a challenge for them. I was actually, Jeff, I was surprised when I was looking into the story a little bit more about how much of a passionate fan base the Livewire has developed. You know, it's a lot smaller, but mm-hmm. they're vocal, they're excited, and they're out there waiting for the bike. Well, that's really what Harley, I think I'm going to give them a little bit more credit because they really have transitioned very well. Mm-hmm. Um, they've really reshaped the way that their bikes look. It's more of a touring type of bike now as opposed to the big hog that they're familiar with. Yeah. So these bikes are easier to manage, easier to handle. And it, the, really, they've had a pretty decent run the last couple of years. Um Revenue, they, they had a hard time in 2019, like everybody kind of did, but they bounced back in 2020. I think the pandemic helped people help that because they were looking to get bikes mm-hmm. and go out and do pandemic their own thing. Pandemic did help, yeah. So they were up over and they had a great first quarter here of 2022. So it's an unfortunate timing for them. I have a feeling this must be a big name supplier oh, yeah. because it feels like they are protecting them a little bit mm-hmm. and being very tight lipped. They're saying, hey, we're going to wait and just see how this plays out. So I think this is going to come out to be somebody i mean something big it's going to yeah. be something with the motor something with the brake something something huge that they really had to shut things down because they do have some decent momentum going especially again they've done such a good job in transitioning that product line and it does still have that brand loyalty so yeah. it'll i think this is the first of many like stories we have on this as mm-hmm. this continues to develop yeah the uh term regulatory compliance issue that sounded a little ominous yeah um According to Adventure Rider, I mean, I was I was looking everywhere for any additional information. They heard that both the Menominee, Menominee Falls and York factories are yep. suspending V-Twin production for two weeks, uh, but there, there's been no word on the number of jobs affected. Hmm. Outside of that, I found nothing else. And the company is not issuing a statement, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talked to my guy who worked there, and he 
shut it down. Oh, really? I talked to my buddy right away. Yeah, he's like, nope. Yeah, what are you seeing over there? How'd you like a new shirt? <laughs> what? <laughs> I can get you some nice merch right now. Yeah. Understood. Understood. Yeah. All right. Our most popular story this week, and honestly, it really shocked me right. that this was the top story this week, but it's an interesting one. A bug shuts down a 168-year-old company. The Peterborough Basket Company has been in business since 1854. The New Hampshire company is known for making handwoven hardwood baskets, but it is closing its factory and stopping production, partly because of an insect destroying ash trees. In a recent announcement, the company said the baskets, quote, are principally made of U.S.-grown Appalachian white ash, the same wood used in axe handles and baseball bats. For some years, they said, the, the emerald ash borer beetle has reduced the availability of the wood used to make the baskets. The emerald ash borer has destroyed tens of millions of trees in the U.S. and Canada, and has now claimed a company. Peterborough Basket also admitted that labor problems, supply chain issues, and owners who were, quote, ready to retire are among the many reasons they will close up shop. Jeff, the last basket will be made this summer or fall, and it seemed odd that they were going to blame the bug when it seems like everyone's just ready to call it a day. Man, do you look on the website? 150 bucks for a basket? Oh, man. But like, really I was actually going to yeah. get into this. They are some beautiful pieces, Jeff. I guess. I mean, what do you, what do you <laughs> use guess. them for? <laughs> well, actually, they had everything. So they had more than 200 styles of baskets on the website. You know, these are beautiful. Decorative. 200 styles of basket? Everything from a laundry basket to a picnic basket. They had one design just to hold DVDs. They had one that is still like design. DVDs because that's a hot market right oh, now. Oh, no. And they had, they had one design to hold CDs, too. I was just like, there you go. You still need that wicker basket yeah. on the uh, The marketing top. might be a bit dated. Yeah. It was, I mean... I looked into it. it I mean, it, right look, now. <laughs> look, whenever you see somebody who's been around that long and does obviously have like a core following niche customer base. Yeah, it's sad. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's too bad. To me, this really spoke to this whole invasive species issue that we have going on in a lot of different areas right now. Yeah. I see it most prominently just in fishing. Around here, we've got the zebra mussel mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. is just wrecking a lot of these local lakes and taking out fish. We've seen it with some of those carp um, as well that have made their way into the waterways. With this one, this emerald ash borer, which we've heard about here before, I mean, this is from, what is it, Eastern Asia, I believe, mm -hmm. somehow it got over here. And it's wrecking all these trees. And really, I was looking at some stuff, too. There is a number of different insects and pathogens that the National Academy of Sciences estimates results in over $40 billion in annual crop and forestry waste basically wow. every year. So when you're looking at agriculture, you're looking at crops that we could use to feed people, forestry products, which right now, again, we mentioned this last week too, but if you're looking to build anything right now, oh, yeah. wood and lumber is mm -hmm. through the roof. Yeah. So these types of issues, I mean, they do have far reaching effects. This is something that we can sort of see in a microcosm, but there's a macro impact here as well. No, it's actually... Um one of the websites that I follow is the Customs Border Protection, uh, you know, website uh, there just to see what uh, news they have coming out. <laughs> see what's coming in. Well, yeah, but it is. It's crazy because nearly every day or at least once a week, they have photos of uh, the food or uh, the shipment that was brought in and was infested with yeah. some sort of uh, invasive species. Yeah. And it really gave me a good, a better understanding of how it, A, how important that role is in trying to prevent some of this and B, just how prevalent it is. Mm -hmm. um, Anna, did you have a chance to check out these decorative baskets? I did. And I feel like we are on different sides of the <laughs> aisle on these baskets. That will be a delightful picnic because of that basket. What yeah, would you I, put in this? Would it be like a PB and... Whatever type of sandwich. Mm -hmm. yeah. that what Ooh, you can that use would these be for? a nice picnic. There would definitely be peanut butter sandwiches in there and then myriad items that I could use would, to pair with that. Would there be any grapefruits, oranges, lemons, limes in there? Grapefruits now, yes. Kiwis. Actually, kiwi was a surprising good mix with peanut butter. Really? But I mean, let's be honest, I'm just going to put Doritos on it. <laughs> Because I'm an adult. You're going to put Dorito and peanut butter sandwiches in your $175 picnic basket. Yeah, that's where I'm not. It makes it elegant. Uh, no, no. I know, I know, I know your wife well, and she would never allow this purchase. Oh no, no, no! It yeah. would be turned away at the door. Yeah, just like send it back. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Pay the restocking fee. 
man, I don't know. I like I feel like this beetle is really getting a bad rap here. Um, what? No, I'm just Boy, kidding. I'm just, I'm just you're kidding. siding with the beetle of all sides. This is of all the beetles. This is my favorite <laughs> kind of beetle. No, um, no, I just think that like it, as you kind of alluded to before, like they sort of slip in the sentence oh, yeah. about all the other things that they're dealing with. Like they're up against labor issues, supply chain problems. They are ready to retire. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, all that alone would be enough to take a company down. And then they're like, oh, and this beetle, though, yeah. the most. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just the other thing I was thinking about that I don't think was mentioned. And I guess you're standing in the face of this argument. But I really don't think that this this like product has a lot of appeal for like the younger generation. And I say that. Not because of my own personal tastes alone, Mm -hmm. but um, they do have kind of this antique look and feel. They serve kind of niche purposes. And today's main buying groups, which are increasingly made up of millennials and Gen Y, Gen Z that have disposable income, they're not in retirement, they're still working. Um, I just don't know that this kind of stuff really has that much consumer appeal anymore. And -hmm. I don't just say that anecdotally, like they've done a lot of studies about millennials and that age range about um, how they're not interested in buying like stuff to fill up their homes. They're more interested in buying experiences. That's how they want to spend their money is on travel and stuff like that. Um, They don't like antiques. They don't like heavy decor. They prefer a minimalist look like this is all just, you know, kind of been documented. But Mm -hmm. um, and I know that varies from person to person, but Mm -hmm. I do think that like I also read that millennials hate brown furniture. So, oh, what? Come All on. millennials hate brown furniture, right? Do they just have to be bright red hand chairs, like yeah. chairs in the shape of a hand? Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. just like um, it's just like a box, like an orange crate flipped over that you paint neon yeah. or something. This is yeah. a repurposed palette. Yeah, yeah, it's all refunded by the side of the road. Barnwood, yeah, only barnwood, um, but not brown barnwood. Just you know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I wouldn't take that one too far, but you get my point. Like, but what if it's reclaimed and it's brown? See, you're, that's a good point. So, but are these baskets reclaimed? No, no that's no. that was a big point that I had with this. And first of all, oh, that's your that big point. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> like, uh, go on. This is not reclaimed wood in these yeah. baskets. No, I think that this company. It seems like it's a legacy company that they had a chance to pivot mm-hmm. regarding other materials, yeah. but it wasn't in the cards. Yeah. I think that you appeal to that new generation if you do start using reclaimed materials or you switch to something else. You don't, you know, you don't just stick with your one product that looks like it's right out of the cover of Midwest Living magazine. It looks it's, very like general store, like you would find yeah, like um, at a Ben Franklin. Yeah, like a it's full of whorehound, yeah. whorehound oh, yeah. candy or something. Reaching way back. No, but it's. I mean, uh, I and that's one way that some legacy products have appealed to the new generation is mm-hmm. that they use resource materials. And I mean, that's something where, you know, you could definitely see the person being like, I mean, yeah, it's a wicker basket, but it was reclaimed from wood that was found, you know, in a local lake. And uh, I paid $700 for it. <laughs> so what do you find appealing about like the the DVD basket? That's what you're... That's- oh, no, I find the fact that it exists appealing. The fact that I can still buy a DVD or CD holder new... Yeah. On the internet and put it in my house and just be like, so people can come over and be like, yeah, that's something you would do. Also, like how many DVDs fit in the basket? Like Not many, just like about a handful. Seven? I'm going to need about 30, 40 of these baskets. <laughs> like, so you got to keep your top seven, mm-hmm. which, oh, yeah. which are? Well, it would be my top seven. Come on now. Um, <laughs> Four diehard movies. And, yeah. yeah. And uh, then the other three are at the bottom. Face Off starring Nicolas Cage. I mean, that's probably eight. <laughs> but it was uh, actually in the decorative pose of the DVD. It looked like it was in like a children's toy room or something. Mm-hmm. So it had like children's DVDs. And actually it would be a good fit for like uh, CDs in the kids room. You know what? I'm going to buy them. No, because... no, 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 no. Because your kids will destroy a $175 basket and then you're pissed. Yeah. But right now you can order all these baskets and they're 35% off. And you use their coupon code it was actually pretty cute. It's 1854 to 2022. Oh, my God. David. Be... David's like... I mean, I don't know that He's because I thumb. used it. He, well, yeah. by the way, though, we have to circle back here. John yeah. Travolta was a star of Face Off. Well, Nicholas Cage was just there. I don't know. John just, Travolta. Nicholas Cage has one of the greatest lines in cinema that I'm not going to repeat on this podcast. <laughs> but it's like when the movie started with that line, I'm like, I'm in. I am in. And this sounds great to me. This has got a solid gold gun. True. Come on. True. Uh, John Travolta versus Nicholas Cage and you choose John Travolta? Yeah. Back yeah. then, not yeah. now. Weird. Well, it's okay. completely at the tables of turn. We've they, should, do, I agree. they got to do an update. 
Face reattached. Uh, face on. Face off, yeah. off. Face on, yeah. Um, uh, Seth, who's watching live again. Thanks a lot, Seth. We really appreciate it. He says that lunch beers fit well in these baskets. Okay, fine, Seth. Seth. That mm-hmm. is a great selling point. That's what they should use, not DVDs and yeah. CDs. I that, will make you a lunch beer basket for a much more reasonable price. You're going to weave Seth a basket? No, I don't wow. know how to do that. <laughs> I just, next year, we're going to come, into the, listeners we're gonna come yeah. into the office and it's just going to be all this, like, straps of wood, like, my God, she's weaving that basket. What to do now? You, and his you, kids haven't been in school for like months. Yeah. Weaving <laughs> baskets at home. My you you called hurt. my bluff. I have no marketable skills. I Well, weaving baskets is no longer marketable. Apparently. No, I, well, that's true. Yeah. I, uh, going back to uh, your point, Anna, is that it was a very succinct statement on the website. Mm-hmm. And they could have just said, you know what? We're tired. We don't have the things to build them. We don't have the people to build them. We're going to and just mm-hmm. drop the mic. Yeah. 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 See ya. It is a fire sale. Hang your blanket over the back of your couch now. Do you actually have a nice blanket basket? I thought they might. I mean, it would look great in a cottage or cabin. All right. Before we move on to in case you missed it, we have another word from our sponsor. Oil Eater's household cleaners, industrial cleaners, and industrial equipment are specifically designed to replace dangerous solvents and are used throughout the world. Our safe water-based formula dissolves grease and grime for almost any surface and leaves a fresh, non-chemical scent. Our ultra-concentrated formulas are perfect for light, medium, or heavy cleaning and can be used on shop floors, in parts washers, to clean equipment, and more. VOC compliant, Oil Eater will do an excellent job in a multitude of applications, safely and cost-effectively, while reducing your chemical usage. Safe for the user, safe for the surfaces being cleaned, and safe for the environment. For more information, visit oileater.com or call 800-528-0334. And we're back with In Case You Missed It, the stories that maybe weren't as popular on the website, but still stand to make an impact on the industry going forward. I'll go first this week. My story is Bentley promises brutal acceleration in new EV. So in an interview with Automotive News Europe, Bentley CEO Adrian Hallmark promised that his company's electric vehicle will sport 1,400 horsepower and go zero to 60 in 1.5 seconds. Uh Uh-uh. And I can't even understand that. Hallmark said that the current Bentley Continental GT speed is at 650 horsepower and that Bentley's EV is going to double that. He warned, however, that there are diminishing returns with such (laughs) rapid acceleration, if you can believe it. He says the problem is that it's just not comfortable. Quote, the thrill of 2.4 seconds to 60 miles, the thrill of 2.4 seconds to 60 miles per hour is great about 10 times. Then it just becomes noxious. Well, you don't do it. You like stop and start. Uh, no, I mean, I think he means like over the course of owning this vehicle. Okay. You do it 10 times and you're like, yeah, that was awesome. Kind of sucked. That was enough now. Yeah. However, so the CEO said, quote, the brutality of acceleration won't be the defining trait of the Bentley EV, but rather its ability to easily overtake other vehicles due to the huge amount of torque on demand. And I mean, if you are just describing your future product as having brutal acceleration, that is, yeah. you know, tapping into something primal with uh, potential buyers. This EV, not a lot of buyers because this EV is scheduled to go into production in 2025. And one variant is going to cost as much as $263,000. <laughs> Jeff, what does zero to 60 in 1.5 seconds feel like? I mean, I've been in, I don't know how fast. It's like it a roller coaster. I mean, like when you like some roller coasters, I mean, I don't even know how fast those are, but that's the only thing you can really compare it to, right? You're just like stop and all of a sudden you're gone. I, I mean, I think so. Like, cause I always, I always go back to that incredible, uh, incredible Hulk roller coaster at universal studios where it uses like, uh, mag, uh, maglev, uh, magnetic levitation to kind of fire it off. Yeah. And even that is just like, intense but i don't even know if that's that fast well here's the thing there is not a lot of drivers who even get this vehicle who will actually be able to do that yeah do you know i mean that's ridiculously fast to actually have enough balls to do that just punch it i mean that would be scary and how the vehicle doesn't like i don't know swing out in one direction as you're doing that is pretty incredible engineering quite honestly so to keep it an actual straight line going that fast with that much torque that's what's kind of a marvel at this the actual speed and stuff yeah, that's impressive. But mm. to do that without tearing the car apart, mm-hmm. yeah. that's impressive. And well, like I said, I don't think any driver, normal driver, would actually even be capable of doing it 10 yeah. times. 
Well, and also like besides a test track, like where are you doing it? Yeah, the Belt Line. You're at a stop, full stop mm-hmm. on the highway. No, you know when we're and then you just st- I mean when we're getting out of the highway, we've all been in that car and we've gotten onto the interstate. And then there's no places. traffic in front. I mean, like you can't go ten feet on most highways, mm-hmm. like at rush hour, without. Yeah. Okay, but you grew up in Fort Atkinson. There's roads between Fort Atkinson and Madison. You could definitely open this up on. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm just saying, going from a full from a full stop to do that, sure. like mm-hmm. that's not like a common scenario, I guess. Like, <laughs> no, well, there's not everyday application for no. that. No, I mean, I it's also based on some movies. It's my understanding that if you just have a friendship with a person at a local airport, they can somehow just let you into that airport at night, and then you know you can fire it up, fire it up, and uh, you know light the tires there. This is. Some- you have a friend at an airport. I do not. I do not. I'm just saying specific. like, I can't, uh, what's the movie in particular where, uh, the person, I think it's John Wick. Isn't it John Wick? Check where, your like, DVD basket. He goes into <laughs> all the first two John Wicks are definitely in that DVD basket. <laughs> um, or no, the first one. Um, but isn't that where he goes? Like, uh, he gets his car and he goes to an airport and just, uh, you know, does donuts because he's got to decompress. I have only seen the first John Wick. I think it's the first one. Eh, anyway. Uh, sorry for my tangent to nowhere, but I mean, we're used to it by now, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Still a pretty awesome car. Yeah. It's yeah. uh, going to be a beautiful car that I will never no. even, never even, I will never no even one have, will ever see that. I wouldn't no. even have the opportunity to like see it in person, you know, <laughs> like yeah. at best I'm going to get, you know, well, clips what is, online. Does Billy make like four cars a year? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Poor. uh, Anna, what is your, in case you missed it this week? Uh, so I thought this was an interesting story, and apparently I was the only one who thought that because no one watched this video that I made. So I'll just tell you about it. You have to hear about it now. Um, so we know that things are continuing to get worse for the citizens of Russia, so many of whom are either don't support the war or are reportedly acting on disinformation. Um, but this... Uh, article detailed um, a side effect of sanctions that I hadn't really thought about. So a Western ban on exports of auto components to Russia has sort of coincided with many global automakers pulling out of Russia um, or ceasing to sell to Russia, meaning there's a huge shortage in auto availability, which means Russia is having to produce domestic vehicles minus some key features because they don't have all the components that they need. So Russia recently passed an order that allows their car makers to essentially skip uh, putting in a lot of key safety components. Like gung-ho it, huh? Mm -hmm. What's that? Gung-ho. Did you ever see that movie? No. It's like a person. Yeah. It's just a man instead of an engine. Yeah. So basically they're trying to finish up this big order Mm -hmm. and they just start skipping stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just make it look good on the outside. Well, apparently Russia is just saying like they can do that now. So um, airbags, anti-lock brakes, that auto lock feature on a safety belt that is pretty important. Like those are all optional things now. Um, They've also granted permission to automakers to bring vehicle emission standards back to those that were in place in 1988. That's Mm -hmm. USSR time, by Mm -hmm. the way. So unfortunately, the Russian people will suffer from this. I mean, they're really at a higher risk, you know, in many ways going forward. Um, I find it hard to believe, especially with the efficiency stuff, that at one point, like when this expires, which is supposed to be next year, that they're just going to flip a switch back and people are just going to go back to... That's not how it's going to happen. You know, like we know that Mm -hmm. Um, going backwards on this stuff is going to take years, probably. Uh, And also, I think like these cars are not just going to disappear off the roads when this conflict is over, um, which we hope is sooner than later, obviously. Um, So there's going to be long term impacts of this, even as this order expires in these cars. I mean, people are going to be for years not knowing if their car has an airbag in it, if they buy it, like, right. you know, um, or, or something like that, that they're just sort of playing Russian roulette with, with people. Uh, oh God, sorry. That was <laughs> unintentional, <clears throat> but it did fit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, that, I thought that that was very, um, I don't know. It, it, it was very disappointing to see. I don't, you know, it's sanctions, but yeah. the, it's going to impact those citizens. No, definitely going backwards from a safety perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see how they're going to restart some of these Soviet era car brands too, like the the Moskvich? Mm-hmm. Uh, and just looking at some of these cars, I mean, I don't know what they have in terms of materials sticking around, but they haven't made these since like what? 
the 80s like uh <laughs> probably longer than that i mean yeah uh-huh. how do you how do you just restart that facility i don't know and yeah. it, i mean this is going to be a total ni- nightmare yeah. um in terms well, they're, of they're just starting to get more and more isolated yeah which they yeah. which i mean Putin probably doesn't care right he's mm-hmm. like he doesn't matter as long as there's something to put out there i was one of the 114 people who did watch this video Anna, yeah thanks jeff and the headline caught my attention but what is more amazing than the airbags is everything else yeah anti-lock brakes are you kidding me Agreed. yeah i yeah. mean geez what they're gonna go with the doors next i mean it, it's kind of ridiculous what, that they right. would even want to put a vehicle out who would want to make a vehicle like this unless you are absolutely forced to do yeah, so. They're desperate. Well, yeah. The feature that makes your seatbelts effective. It's like, we'll still have seatbelts. They're not going to stop you, mm-hmm. but you can still wear one so you can remember what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, that one was, this entire thing was odd to me, but it's something that we actually reforecasted at the beginning of the conflict. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see more of this in the automotive sector. We're going to see, I mean, more of it, particularly in food manufacturing. Um, as things get tighter, uh, Russia's going to have to, for lack of a better term, get creative. Yeah. Yep. They're paying the price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's their strength. Um, Jeff, what is your, in case you missed it this week? I resisted the urge to do a third automotive story, even though I was mm. initially picked one up, but I went a different direction because this is pretty cool. Canada Streamlined Lanes recently unveiled, or actually they completed the maiden voyage of their new diesel electric self-unloading MV Nukumi vessel. So this is a cargo ship that basically they had set off from Canada, went to um, Japan or went someplace in Asia. I apologize from Montreal, came back with de-icing salt, mm. unloaded it by itself. Mm-hmm. It was fully autonomous. So it, was, it offers a lot of different benefits. It's fully automated to single point loading, uh, single point of loading and cargo handling systems that are performed and designed to eliminate the need for vessel shifting during loading. So it's safer. Mm. It's also made to go through um, shallower like canals, you know, Mm -hmm. so things don't get stuck. Yeah, We've had some issues with that lately. (laughs) That's important. Um, It's also got several innovations built in for reducing the overall environmental footprint. Um, It's supposed to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and air pollutants by 25 and 80% compared with previous ships. Um, It also has a Diesel, electric, tier three engines, ballast water treatment system, waste heat and recovery system. And it's just overall, it's quieter as well. So basically it's safer. Mm -hmm. You can have fewer people on board because we've had a lot of safety issues (laughs) with these cargo ships in terms of loading and unloading. It's less likely to get stuck someplace. And it also is better for the environment. So checks a lot of uh, boxes. In anticipating some of your questions, David, I don't know what it cost. I don't and know. I'm not sure how many more that they're going to make right now. Yeah. Because it's set off in March. It just got back. But um, pretty amazing technology. And if we can keep replicating this, like I said, yeah. it seems like the answer is a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Not cost, but this thing is massive. Like uh, when you were talking about all the applic- everything that it did, I was just like, oh, that sounds great. I was thinking of like, you know, a- you know, an autonomous uh, uh, semi-truck where, you know, it could unload itself, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, this thing is, it doesn't have any specs as to how big it is, but... Uh, 26,000 metric tons it can haul. That's a lot. That's of, a bit. Yeah. yeah. A lot of baskets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we still got to get those baskets from A to B somehow after they're done with the salt shipment. Yeah. And in this case, I mean, it was for something that is definitely going to be needed in Canada when you mm-hmm. talk about de-icing salt. So... Um, <laughs> It was a cool, I don't know, I thought it was just a really cool technology and it just makes a ton of sense. I love it when we do this stuff, not just to do it, yeah. but mm-hmm. because it actual fit. It solves problems. Exactly. Yeah. So if it's self-unloading, how does it do that? <laughs> well, I mean, like self-unloading, like, I mean, when you say self-unloading, I'm like, how do the containers get off the ship? Well, it's got all the cranes and mechanisms that are automated, just like you would in a factory floor, just at a higher level. Man. They're just containers, right? I mean, it's just, yeah, it's like... Automated material. No, yeah, yeah, but I, I just, uh, mm. I got to see it. I got to see it. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. No, that's cool. So what was the other car story you were thinking about? Well, the one we ran last Friday, uh, oh, looking the- at with Foxconn and Fisker coming together to uh, run the Lordstown plant there. Oh, yeah. We've talked about those guys a little bit. Though. Update. They did it. Yeah. They did it. A, surpri- a surprising conclusion yeah, it to the was. Foxconn deal. Um, right on. Well, let's move on to our final thoughts. Uh, Anna. What's your final thought? You this always week? go to me first. And well, I that's just... because, I mean, okay, I can go first. Um, okay. Oh, okay. No, uh, <laughs> um, so my final thought is that I tried to participate in No Mo May, and I definitely became that neighbor. I made it until uh, this last Monday, and it was 
just that lawnmower was chewing through it. I get it. You know, uh, that, <laughs> that we're trying to help the bee population mm-hmm. do what we can. But at some point, it, it gets uh, untenable. Like, I mean, I'm probably going to do more harm to the environment uh, because I've got to mow it like three times in three yeah. straight days. Um, but it was an interesting experiment to which my kids really enjoyed running through that more than a foot tall dandelion. Oh man, we had, yeah, we had so many. Yeah, and then they're just sticking to them. Like it looks like they were tarred and feathered with tiny little dandelion parts. <laughs> um, and I was it, the only thing that was disappointing was that uh, Des couldn't get his little toy uh, lawnmower that with the bubbles mm-hmm. to go. And, but he refused to be uh, he refused to uh, be stopped. So he ran back into the garage, uh, got his uh, his big truck, and then just started mowing them. Over. Oh, just good like, call! Well, yeah. we'll get him. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll get him. Yep, so, I know what to do here. So, I guess no mow may was a success, but I don't think you need to make it the entire month. I'm I'm driving around the neighborhood, seeing the people that are holding on, mm-hmm. and they just have a long weekend ahead of them next weekend. Yeah, it's yeah. gonna be rough. Uh, Anna, you got anything yet? Yeah, I do. I was actually, I had something before, but I was just oh, messing with you. Just calling me on it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. so last week, um, I was still a little bit stuffed up from my cold and you said that I was sounding very bluesy and I just want to say that you're sounding a little bluesy this week. I don't sound bluesy. Does he not? It's definitely a bluesy element. I think there's a little bit of bluesy. I'm bluesy because my son decided to start waking up at 3 a.m. this week. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry. I'll talk like Anna did last week. <laughs> Hi, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what would be harder for you, that going low or going high? Because you seem to go oh, I elevate can... your octave pretty easily. No, no, no. It's easier Yeah, to go, go high. It's a lot less of a strain to go low. And it just really hurts to get up here. <laughs> Sorry, there everyone that's listening to this in headphones. I really apologize. <laughs> we might adjust those levels. <laughs> um, well, I'm not sick, but I guess I'll get tested. Okay. No. I've got like hundreds of them done. <laughs> I know so many. There's a more that you can get now. Oh, eight, good. Eight more free. Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. I just, just signed up. That stockpile. Mm-hmm. They need to get rid of it. Well, I mean, what's another week in uh, under COVID without shoving another swab up your nose? Exactly. Uh See, I thought Anna was going to go a different direction here because we learned this week, and we're learning so much about you since we started oh. this podcast, David. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We learned that you had never had a grapefruit no. until this week. This yeah. week, first grapefruit. It was delicious. And you don't eat oranges? I don't like, I don't care for oranges. I've eaten, I've eaten oranges before. I don't like them. I looked at a grapefruit. I saw a big orange. I didn't try. You should have rubbed a piece of it on your face like they do with a baby when they try peanut butter for the first time to see if they like... You rub peanut butter on your kids' faces? That's what you're supposed to do. See if they're allergic or not. See if they're allergic. Oh, just get after it and see what happens. (laughs) Well, the the hypothesis is maybe your David moments Mm -hmm. come from a lack of vitamin C. Oh. This is a scurvy symptom. I don't think so. Is what Jeff is saying. I'm putting plenty of grapefruit juice in those drinks, man. This I have seen. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah, I'll give you that. But that, like, it's also, it's kind of a trade-off because there's so much salt on that rim that uh, that's doing way more harmful effects. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yes, no, I'm, well, as, uh, you know, trying to, uh, have my kids try new foods, um, mm-hmm. like the two that I just can't get over, I can't get over oranges and bananas. And it's just like, man, everyone seems to really like these. And then I go to try it. I'm like, I still can't. I still orange can't. juice. No, I can't. No, I hate orange juice. Absolutely. Or wow. it's like, man, when your parents would give you that when you're sick. It's like, I'll stay sick. So, all right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. All yeah. right. All yeah. right. Maybe I got to try it on a peanut butter sandwich. How good did it feel to play uh, softball this week? That's so my good. closing thought. Or final good. thought. It's a, it feels good. It's a little hard to stand right now <laughs> <laughs> because you know while we did have our fit in our one practice, we didn't really practice running the bases. And now uh, when I was out there, I was like, "Ooh, yeah, getting the rust <laughs> off the hips." Yeah, yeah that, was that was great. Good. Cool. So trivia mm-hmm. last week. We had no correct answers. Whoa, oh, no. what happens we now? We had a lot of close, but <laughs> just disappointment. Yeah. We're all very disappointed in everybody listening that they mm-hmm. didn't get that. No, we had a very a lot of close answers, um, but no, nobody got it correct. And the question again was, the very first thing you do in reacting to a chemical agent and in donning your, um, pr- your gas mask, your protective mask, is exactly the same thing. The very first thing you do. Mm. Very first thing you do is you close your eyes. 
Mm-hmm. That is the very first thing you do. And so, so there's a lot of other different guesses. Tell people what's going on. Repair your equipment. Um, stop breathing. Spit. All of which are accurate. Yeah. But the very first thing you do is to close your eyes. I thought you spit on the go- like the glasses. You do not spit on your glasses. No one. It's just like a scuba diving thing. No. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I missed another one. That's my fault, I think. <laughs> Maybe I didn't ask that very clearly or something, because we do have some pretty smart folks out there. So that one's on me. But we will start with a new one. And this one is kind of relating to that same genre. We'll talk about chemo- protecting against chemical agents. So in the Army, you have what they call mop gear, which is mission-oriented personal protective gear. Mm. So this is like the, the suit that yeah. you put on. Mm-hmm. And once you put the suit on and you put everything on, you put your boots, everything else gone, there's one piece of your equipment that you decontaminate twice. There's only one. Everything else is good the first time you do it because you get these swabs, the chemical paper, and you wipe everything down. But there is one piece of equipment that you are supposed to decontaminate two times. What is it? That is the question for this week. Okay. Mm. I'm at a loss, Jeff. I think you know. <laughs> That's on. Uh, Alex will get it as soon as we're done. He's been pretty good at these. Yeah. There's a shocker. Alex is good at something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've never done this before. What does it mean to get a perfect score? Oh, that's good, Jeff. That's good. <laughs> is a 1600 on my SAT good? Yeah. I just, I didn't, never tried it, so. Right? I think I got low 30s on my ACTs just showing up. Like, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that is, uh, man, I wish I knew the answer to that question. All right. Well, make sure to email all the responses to Jeff and then CC us because, you know, we're sometimes interested to see who's got it. Um, all right. Before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review or on whatever platform you're on. Uh, Seth, just give us a thumbs up on YouTube if you're there. I'd appreciate that. I'll get you a basket. Uh, Finally, if you want to email the podcast, you can reach any of us at Jeff, David, or Anna at IN.com with email the podcast in the subject line. You can also subscribe to our daily and weekly newsletters. Make sure you get it in your inbox first. All right. For Jeff and Anna, I'm David Manti. This is the Today in Manufacturing podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Today in Manufacturing podcast.